Well, let's, uh, let's get started. Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 12? The Revelation 12, interestingly, is about smack dab in the middle of the book of the Revelation. As we study it, we can probably see why. Studying chapter 12 gives us a, an, an overview of the great spiritual battle that we don't see. The spiritual battle that has been going on throughout human history. So I just want to bring a message from this chapter, and I call it what people don't see. So much is explained. Now, in the Revelation 12 and 13 and 14, we have, we have expl an explanation. Let me, let me set it in its perspective. Seventh trumpet blows. We're well into the last half of the tribulation, which is called the Great Tribulation. So that means that for the most part, and you and I have been seeing this in the scripture, in the Revelation, for the most part, the Gentiles have have that who have been saved, the tribulation saints who are Gentiles, except for a few that are left yet, but the Gentiles mostly, their salvation has come to them earlier on. But the increasingly now in the last half of the tribulation, the focus is on Israel. So the nation of Israel has this irrevocable promise from God that their son of David will be the king over a kingdom. It'll be an eternal kingdom. It'll never know an end. So that's a promise from God. And that kingdom has not yet been established on planet earth. And Israel has not yet at this point, well into the great tribulation, <clears throat> has not yet been placed among nations as most favored nation. And the throne of the son of David has not yet been established in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem. So this is what it's working. It's in the works and heaven has already proclaimed it's the kingdom of the Lord's. He'll rule and reign forever. But the wrath of God still falls until the last of the seven bowls. And so we know that the seventh trump trumpet, which has been blown, introduces the seven bowls of wrath. And that, that ends the judgment of God on earth and on the earth dwellers. So the focus is more now on <clears throat> the the final fulfillment of promises, especially the one that says all Israel will be saved. Zechariah gives us a rather graphic 
portrayal of what happens during this time in Jerusalem, especially the Antichrist and his forces. They go from door to door uh, seeking to kill Jews and to, to ravage the women of Israel and to kill all of the Jews that they see. And it is then that uh, it, it, that's along in the time when they, when they call upon the one whom they pierced and, and uh, they cry out for salvation. So we're, we're, in the, we're in the depths of the final months maybe of, of the tribulation. But there's a, there's, there's a little change of direction here because since the whole story of Israel and the promise of the, since all of that, the promise of the kingdom and, and all, since all of that is about to come to a conclusion, we are reminded in the Revelation 12 of where we came from to get to the conclusion of the story of man's history and to the final fulfillment of the promises that God has made uh, to physical Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, all Israel be saved. So thinking about that, and now the Holy Spirit just says, okay, let's go back at the beginning and let's take a sweep through the history of man from heaven's view and we'll see why and how this is working the way that it's going to work. So then, the first thing that we don't always see is the woman Israel. Beginning in verse 1, And a great sign, Simeon, Kai Simeon, Mega, a great sign. Let's think about that word, Simeon. Translated sign. When we study the Bible, we should always take it literally. Whenever we see it given to us, unless the Bible tells us that what we are reading is a sign. It's a symbol. All the way through this chapter, what we see is a sign. So it's a symbol. It's the way that John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes what he's seeing. So it is a symbol of that which is the reality. A sign was seen in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars, and in a womb being with child, or she was pregnant. And she cries being in labor and being in pain to bring forth. You go back to Genesis 37. This is the description of Israel. Jacob is the sun, Rachel is the moon, the 12 stars of the 12 tribes. So there's the, undoubtedly he's speaking of Israel. Throughout the existence of Israel, Israel has suffered. A woman carried the promise of the Christ. The first prophecy of the Christ is in Genesis 3.15. The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, you would think someone could look at this and say, well, you know, the, 
the creator ought to know better than this. The woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. Well, the promise from heaven was that a woman would, would be miraculously impregnated with a seed that she would have that was not from her. A woman doesn't produce the seed. She receives the seed. So there's this mysterious and wonderful promise that a woman is going to be the instrument through which God will deliver the Savior into the world. Adam lost it all. The last Adam will recover it for his own. At that point, a cosmic struggle intensified, a struggle that is really going on today that, we've, that mankind has never been able to see, except maybe when on that occasion, for example, uh, when, um, when Jacob, his eyes were opened and he saw two companies of angels and he was being pursued by Uncle Laban from the rear and he was afraid of Esau who was ahead of him. But God allowed him to see that there was a, <laughs> there were two mighty armies of angels that were going to hold back anything evil that could happen to him. Because he and then his children carried the promise of the Christ. So okay, except for a vision like that, people have never seen the cosmic struggle that goes on all around us, in our lives, in churches, in nations, all through history. The promise was made that a woman would, would, would somehow receive seed and produce. And she would do that apart from a man, so it would be a virgin-born birth. A virgin would give birth. That promise makes its way all the way through the pre-flood world. No doubt, when God proclaimed the offering of Abel as acceptable and the offering of Cain as unacceptable, Satan obviously used the opportunity to kill righteous Abel. Well, that, that took him out of the way. It moves on from there, though, and Seth is born in replacement of Abel. And then when Seth began to have children, men began to call themselves by the name of Yahweh. So they began to call upon the name of Yahweh. That's in what Genesis 4. So now you have this delineation of two races, the Canaanites, the Sethites, and... There was an amalgamation of the races, but there was only one guy and his family who didn't mix themselves with the Canaanites, and that was Noah. The Bible says Noah was unblemished in his generation. So, so all the Canaanites perished in the flood, but Noah, a descendant of Seth, his children, descendants of Seth, all of them who were on the ark, descendants of Seth, no Canaanite survived the flood. So now Noah carries the promise of the Christ. One of, his, one of his three sons is named Shem. 
And there's an interesting little statement in, in along in, in there talking about those three sons of Noah. And it says, blessed be the Lord God, the, the Yah Elohim of Shem. So Shem is designated for his faith along in there. And then you have the, the Shemites, the Semitic peoples on the other side of the flood. And they begin to develop and it was, a, it was a descendant of Shem. It was a Semitic who was a Hebrew, a descendant of Eber, Heber, who was a descendant of Shem, Heber. And those descendants of Heber were called Hebrews. And Abram was a Hebrew and God made the promise. You're going to have the son. Through your lineage... Well, then, of course, Satan begins to attack Abram and then Abraham and then Abraham's sons, Isaac and then Jacob. And they have all these troubles. And then Israel emerges as a nation. But before they do, Satan is bound and determined to kill this promised Savior. And so Pharaoh gives the, gives the edict to kill all the male children. Well, Moses escapes, the, the, the lawgiver. And so Moses was raised up as a leader to lead the people out of bondage. And then they come under all kind of other attacks and he enters into the weakest people of Israel and they begin to murmur and complain and they turn on Moses and he keeps going from there. But Jacob centuries earlier had made the promise that Judah carried the promise of the Christ. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet from his seed until Shiloh, Shiloh comes. Peace giver. So this is obscure promise that of the 12, Judah would carry the promise of the Christ and the, the largest of the 12 tribes was Judah. And it was Judah who, who moved forward moving into the, across the wilderness, the desert. Then it moves on from there. Let's, let's fast forward that all the way um, to the time of King David. Saul tries to kill David. The Philistines try to kill David. David is in constant danger of losing his life because Satan was there when God made the promise the son of David will sit on the throne. So David escapes all of that. God divinely delivers him. Then comes the division of the nations. Dividing the nation obviously made Satan think that he could have an easier time destroying the sons of David. And there were wars and troubles and all kinds of things and sin that set in on the nation. And they were captured and Assyria had, had the policy, sort of a scorched earth policy, when they captured the northern kingdom of Israel, who did not carry the promise of the Christ, their policy was to force intermarriage between culture groups and ethnic groups so that ethnic groups would lose their identity. They would lose their culture. They would lose their history. Thus, the ten lost tribes. But when Babylon comes against Judah, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had a different policy. And the policy was, I'll get more out of these people 
And they'll be easier to work with if I just let them maintain their ethnicity and maintain their, <coughs> excuse me, maintain their uh, culture and language. And they can then work a work that I assign to them. So Judah maintains their identity. I'm going to have to have a drink of water. I'm sorry. Something jumped on me. <coughs> now, therefore, Judah continues in its own identity. Move on post-exile post into another time. And then comes Haman in the time of Esther. And he's going to kill all the Jews. Doesn't work. God miraculously delivered them. Well, let's jump forward from there to Herod, King Herod. He's going to kill all the baby boys because they had, the Magi had come to worship the king of the Jews. So you can see here throughout Israel's history how she had cried being with child all the way through her history. She cried being in labor and being in great pain to bring forth a child. So this goes all the way through her history. She still, Israel still carries the promise of being most favored nation in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So Satan, we'll see, begins to work and begins to try to undo all of that. Israel, that woman, Israel, moves all the way through her history. God was always there to defend, <coughs> to protect, to watch over, to give care and guidance and protection, and to deliver them miraculously even when they didn't deserve deliverance because of their because of their sin. But God had made a promise that could not be altered. He made a promise, a covenant with them that was unconditional. So God would carry out what he said he would carry out, namely, through Israel, he would bring the Savior, the Christ of God, the King of kings, the King of the kingdom. He would bring him into this world. And so Satan has relentlessly worked against Israel throughout history to keep that baby from being born. But it never worked. So this is a great sign that he sees a woman who is Israel by the description that comes from Genesis 37, Joseph's dream. A woman suffers in the pain of childbearing all the way through her history. My clicker ain't clicking. There we go. The next thing you don't see, and only believers understand from reading the scriptures, is the dragon, Satan. Another sign. A sign, a symbol of something that is, <coughs> that is real. And another sign was seen in the heaven. And look, a great red dragon. 
Now this dragon earlier had been called a serpent, but a dragon is more ferocious and more dangerous, obviously, than, than a serpent. So he's, he's great. There's that word again, mega. He's great. God bless you. Thank you. And he's red. He is covered in blood. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, now, if I had some Lay's potato chips, I'd be like Bear Bryant. Um, <clears throat> so he's covered with the blood of murdering people all through his all through his career on planet earth. Further description. Seven heads, ten horns, and upon his heads, seven diadems. Now that's a diadem, that's a crown. That's not a Stephanos, that's a diadema. That's a crown of a king, not the crown of a victor. Okay? So he has these uh, seven diadems. Now, there, we're going to study this a little more deeply when we get to it in a few chapters in the Revelation, what this means. Suffice it to say at this point, they are representative of the Gentile powers that have pursued that woman in all of her existence since the first of the Gentile powers. Satan controlled them. And they have pursued this woman in all of her history. Now, he has 10 horns. A horn is a symbol of power. It's also a symbol of national power. So those 10 horns are the end time confederacy that come together to finally give power to the Antichrist. And that is explained in, in a couple of chapters. We'll get there but just to bring us up to snuff on what it means. So he has been in control of the world kingdoms all of this time, and they didn't know it, but their job under his domination was to destroy Israel. It's no different today. You ever wondered, what have, what have these people done? You know, history proves Number one, they're the oldest nation, un, un, unbroken in their lineage, oldest ethnic group. History clearly identifies the land where they have been for so long that was their land. And so, you know, you, you think these people, they don't strike out. They have great, what I understand, they have great military power. They don't abuse it. They don't, matter of fact, they sit, they sit and don't do anything sometimes when hundreds of rockets are fired. What, what's wrong? Why are these people, and why does the UN always come against them and all these other nations come against them? Well, that's, this is why. Because the dragon wears the diadems. That's why. Because he's in control of these Gentile powers. And his tail drags a third of the stars of heaven. 
and he cast them to earth. So a third of the angels fell under the leadership of Satan. And the dragon stands before the woman who is about to bring forth. Now you see that language? He was always there. He's always bullying, intimidating, harassing, and trying to kill this woman in all of her, in all of her life. You've seen news articles today where people are just walking down the road and they suddenly get intimidated and punched out and kicked and thrown down. But this is like Satan through the ages with Israel stands before the woman who is about to bring forth that when she should bring forth her child, he might devour, that is to say, he might devour her child. So if he can't kill the woman, he'll wait until she delivers the child and he'll kill the child. This has been his job. Now the woman's son. And she brought forth a son, a male, who is about to shepherd all the nations. Now at this point, John the Revelator has heard the proclamation in heaven. We saw it a couple of chapters back. Uh, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall rule and reign forever. So it's a done deal in heaven. And he is about to shepherd all the nations with an iron rod. Poimanin. That's the same, well, that's a verb form of the word Pastor. He's going to pastor. He's going to be the pastor. He's going to be the guardian, the feeder, the leader of his, of his people, all the nations. But unlike other shepherds who have just a wooden staff, he has an iron rod. So she brought forth the son of male who is about to shepherd all the nations. At this moment when John receives this vision, you see, he knows that just, just ahead, Christ will come in glory and take over the world. And her child was caught away to God and unto his throne. Now that's pretty much what Daniel said when he was prophesying of the 77s, the 77-year periods back in Daniel. So she brings forth that male child, and who was there to try to kill him, not only when he was born through Herod, but all through his life. These Pharisees and religious leaders were always seeking a way. They were conspiring to kill him. But not until, as the Lord said, his time had come. Of course, God was in control of the whole thing. So then he's caught away to God and to his throne. Now, the woman has delivered her son. She carries a great promise to be the greatest of nations in the kingdom. That promise has never been 
fulfilled. Of course, by this time, the Antichrist is in full power. And he is in hot pursuit of this woman, Israel, all over the world. I mentioned earlier, Zechariah gives a graphic picture of how the forces of Antichrist are going door to door, slaughtering people. Christ had told them, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is when the Antichrist puts himself up in the temple that he permitted Israel to rebuild in the time of the tribulation, when you see the abomination of desolation, namely the Antichrist proclaims himself as God in the temple, when you see that, Christ said, that marks the middle of the tribulation. Run. Go into the hills. Go out into the mountains as far as you can. The Bible, as a matter of fact, if you had a Bible and the Bible maps in the back of the Bible and you were running from the Antichrist, you would know right where to go. You would know right where to go. As a matter of fact, well, I'll, let me get to the scriptures. And the woman fled into the wilderness. This is what Jesus told her to do. Where she has there a place prepared of God. That there they should nourish her 1,260 days. That's three and a half years on a lunar calendar. That is the last half of the tribulation. So Israel here, these who have escaped, will not die. They will enter into the kingdom in their physical bodies. They have a place where God has prepared, and even though the Antichrist would have this, this same information, God will not, we're going to see this here, God will not permit the Antichrist to kill these people. This place, it's, it's in the hills of Bosra. It's in a place where there are ancient cities that still exist there that, well, they're abandoned, but it's, it's a habitable place. There's a natural fig that, that grows there plentifully. And I've read where that particular fig gives you all of the nourishment that one could possibly need in his life. You live on that fig. There are natural bodies of water there, springs and so forth. A place prepared by God. It is, it is so well known as a matter of fact W.E. Blackstone was a famous Bible commentator from, oh, a decade or more, I mean, a century or more ago. I think it was in the 1920s. He led a group of people up into that area, and he had crates of Bibles in, written in the, in, translated into the, in the language that was indigenous at the time, and he had English Bibles as well. And he hid those crates of Bibles all over that place. <laughs> so that Israel would have Bibles to read when they were there. And I heard a preacher not long ago say that there have been others who have made the same trip and have done the same thing, just planted Bibles all over this place in crates, buried them in holes, put them in caves, everywhere, all over the place. That's an interesting thought. The place is prepared by God, and they'll be nourished for the last three and a half years until the Lord comes in glory and puts them in their kingdom. Okay. Let's think back now. A third of the angels fell with him. 
demons, demons. Some were so powerful and mean that God changed, chained them in the abyss, the abyssos. We saw that. And as part of his wrath, the Lord who has the, has the, key, who has the keys gave the key to an angel. angel opens up the abyss. 200 million, wasn't it? A bunch of them. A bunch of demons who have never had access to the human race are released. That's been some time back, but we saw it. Then the four evil angels bound and chained at the river Euphrates. You ever wondered why there was so much trouble in that part of the world? Four horrible evil angels, each of whom leads an army of demons, and then they are released later, and all of their armies. So the complete horde of fallen angels now has access to planet Earth. Never has been that way before. It's not that way today. Never been that way before. Part of the wrath of God. So it starts out with physical torment when those were released from the abyss, you remember? And then God told the ones who came forth after the four angels were released, the evil angels, kill a third of them. When you get through that, so that was their job. They were out just killing. Any human they saw killed them until a third of them who were left on planet earth, I call them earth dwellers, until a third of them had died and then God wouldn't let them go any further. So this dragon Satan has his army intact for the first time since he originally rebelled in heaven. He's never had them all together like this before. So they're all together and Satan's back is up against the wall. Everything has gone wrong for him. And we read there was war in heaven. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. I think the first battle's begun with the rapture of the church. I don't think that demons are just going to hang around and say, whoop, there goes another one. Ooh, boy, they're fast. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they'll try to intimidate. They'll try to stop. They'll try to interfere. The Lord's angels won't let it happen. But this war, in my view, intensifies until we get to the final months of the great tribulation. War in heaven. Now, we're going to see down here. Well, let's read it. Michael and his angels warred against the dragon. Now that is in a Greek tense such that they had no choice. This was, they were attacked. Michael and his angels were attacked. So they had to move on the dragon and his angels. And the dragon warred and his angels and they prevailed not. Nor was their place found anymore in heaven. That language tells us that all the way up until this time, Satan has had access to heaven. Why? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. But he's, this is not going to be allowed anymore. He is booted out. The war is fought. The dragon lost in his army. 
They are finally and forever cast out of heaven. Their place was not found anymore in the heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the ancient serpent who is called devil and Satan, who misleads the whole inhabitable world. He was cast into the earth and his angels were cast with him. So you have one third of the total body of angels who are the fallen angels have now been cast onto planet earth. We keep reading here. I heard a great voice in the heavens saying, now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ because the accuser of our brothers is thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by reason of the blood of the lamb and by reason of the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life unto death. So they testified of Christ and the blood of the lamb was applied to their lives and they overcame. They overcame the accuser. So the great voice proclaims, this is it. He's about to come. Now there is a rejoicing and then a warning of woe. Because of this rejoice you the heavens and those who dwell in them. Now who is in heaven right now? We have disembodied Old Testament saints whose resurrection is about to occur at the end of the tribulation. We have glorified New Testament saints, the church, having already been resurrected, and so we are there in our glorification. We have also seen that the company of tribulation saints from the first half of the tribulation are there. Their resurrection will yet come because it belongs to the 70th seven-year period noted by Daniel. And then the second half tribulation saints who are there, and there's a great number of them. So that's who is in heaven. Then there are the angels, the elders, the angels, the company of angels, the cherubim, and, and the, the trumpet angels, and the priest angels, and, and the presence angels, and all those others that are identified. All of them are there, and the cry is given out because of this. He's no longer accusing. Rejoice, everybody who is in heaven, who dwells there, rejoice. But now the attention goes down to earth and the earth dwellers. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great fury, knowing that he has a short time. So his job is to kill this woman, Israel, every last one of them. Keep her from going into the kingdom in a physical body that has been promised. If he can do that, he thinks he's won. So he's going to find, he's going to go out and find Israel, wherever he can find Israel, and going to kill these people. When the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the male child, and to the woman uh, were given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place 
where she is nourished there for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. From the face of the serpent. So God helps the woman. And the serpent cast out of his mouth after the woman water as a river that he might take her carried away by a river. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Satan has failed. What's he going to do? Well, he has this pitiful plan B. The dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And he stood upon the sand of the sea. Here's what that means. I'm going to go into every nation everywhere and I'm going to destroy everything. And I'm going to kill the children of this woman as much as I can. And I'm going to do all the damage if I can, that I can. And just maybe, somehow just maybe, I can stop this kingdom from coming. I can stop that king from knocking me off of my throne in my kingdom in this world. So he stood on the sand of the sea and he ponders as he is about to go into the rest of the world and destroy everything, seeking to stop and kill this woman. Okay, that's the Revelation chapter 12. We'll stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.